0: Falsha, Gail. Welcome to this week's episode of the Rebel Matters podcast. Hope you're keeping well. Uh what episode are we on? Seventy We're on episode seventy-two now. Holy moly! Anyway, it is a scorcher of a day down here in Cork and I'm not gonna make a really big long introduction to this week's show because I wanna go outside and uh get a sun. While the sun is out. <laughs> but uh, This week's guest is Roxana Nicolian. The episode was recorded way back at the start of the lockdown, like it seems like an absolute age ago. It was recorded, well, uh, back in the days whenever the fire was still going at night time because it was cold, not on roasting hot days like today, and we were just sitting having a chat. Basically, this is probably just a recording of the kind of chat that we would have Anyway. We talked about the arts and Roxana's work as an actor, as a spoken word artist, and she's on the telly as well. She's in varsity and also acts on stage. So you can go and find her on actually social media if you want to see what she's getting up to, Roxana Liam on Instagram. But anyway, I recorded this episode, I was sitting down in front of the fireplace drinking a couple of cans of Beamish and having the chats with Roxana of uh, a dark night, of a dark cold night in pandemic times. So hope you enjoy sitting in on that conversation. I met Roxana first I suppose through our mutual friend Lewis Kenny who also did an episode of the podcast and that episode was also recorded in the same kind of Vane sitting down by the fireside, drinking a can of beamish, having the chats. Anyway, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who has been supporting the podcast on Patreon. I know there's a few more patrons that have come on board in the last week or two, so Gurraked Milamagov Akarja. If you want to become a patron of the podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash rebel matters. And you can see the three tiers of the three different ways that you can support the podcast are on that page. All the support through Patreon really is keeping the Rebel Matters podcast on the road. I've got a target of getting up to 100 patrons, so if you want to be one of those patrons then you can go to that address that I just called out there. The support that is coming in through Patreon it's making a massive difference to the current production of the Rebel, Rebel Matters podcast, but as we move forward, it's also going to open up a lot of doors in terms of what direction the podcast can go into and the type of interviews and production that we can make happen. So thanks a million everyone for trusting the podcast enough to get behind it and putting your faith in the Rebel Matters podcast because I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and we're kind of in the, the, the age of supporting your local artists and online. So I know that it's a crowded space and I'm very grateful for everyone who has supported the Rebel Matters podcast through Patreon so far. As usual, at the end of this episode, there is a bit of story time. I'm reading the next chapter in Charles McGlinchey's book, The Last of the Name, which is a magnificent window into the life of Charles McGlinchey, who lived in Meantje Glen in Donegal between the mid, I suppose around about the mid-1800s until the mid-1900s, there thereabouts. And he also talks about what it was like for his parents and his grandparents. It's a magnificent window into a time gone by. I think there's a lot that can be learned from that book as well. As it happens, Roxana, today's guest on the show, lent me this book in the first place. So you have Roxana to thank for the interesting chats that are just about to come up and also for the book that's being read at the end that's at the very end of the episode after the outro music so if you want that then just hang tight until the outro music is after playing out after the episode and you'll hear the next episode the next chapter of that book the very first chapter of the book is back at the end of episode 67. Anyway that's enough let's get stuck into the chat with Roxanne and Agliem I hope you are all well Akarja, all looking after each other all keeping the head in a good place as much as possible, and I hope you have a nice day wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And, buen salt as ancora le Roxana Nakleem. Listening to this who already knows you a little bit, I suppose, would it be right to say that they would probably um think of you as a spoken word artist and, and an actor as well?
1: Um, yeah, I mean the spoken word stuff is relatively new. Um like the last kind of seriously in the last like year and a half, so but I'd say I probably have more um, <clears throat> people probably know me more from that than theatre because people don't go and see theatre, <laughs> don't go and see plays. So uh, I mean, in certain circles, you know, I'd be uh, I'd be known as an actor. But I think yeah, the last kind of um, because I've been like especially since I started releasing videos of some of my poems and stuff. Um, so yeah, that's a really long way to say yes. Classic.
0: Um, and is there? Um, and I suppose some people would know you from being in Vicker Street as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely Seshmot like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Seshmot is always there at the very end of the night. and it's like, Where are you going now, lad? Where are you going
0: now? Here, um it's a question. Um the terminology uh, terminology around being an actor and like the term is the term actress is gone these days, is it?
1: Um, I don't know. I know. Um, some people still use it, like, um, like obviously for the Oscars and stuff. They have best actress. Um, I say actor, but I have never really thought too much about it. I know some people would be like I'm an actor, like I'm the same. And then, but I know like a few kind of older kind of theater actresses, actors who prefer actress. Like, um, I know like Charlotte Bradley and like Ashley Sullivan. who will be like big theater actors actresses they were are like i don't think there's anything wrong with like actress and i'm a woman and it's feminine and so i yeah, don't know yeah. like, i don't really think too much about it i don't mind calling me an actress if you want is
0: there something is there like a? is it a little bit of a, a little term now? like i actually don't know so which is why i'm asking but i just heard someone talking about it like
1: years yeah. ago or whatever but. it would be like the way we don't say vanguard anymore or like you know that kind of way or like i you know putting like or et at the end of jobs yeah
0: because it's like, like like Garda isn't necessarily a, a masculine term but Vanguarda no. Garda is is it the same way with actor is not a masculine term but actress is
1: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It is, is it? yeah like some people don't even like say waitress anymore it's like serving staff or like you know like in a way so but I don't I'm just give like, a really
0: so how did you how did you end up um, finding yourself in uh, like theatre or acting
1: um well, my dad was an actor, and he did mostly film and TV. And then when I was a kid, he I was in a few films that he was in as well. And then when I was a teenager, I started going to youth theatre, doing youth theatre. But I knew, because like, my dad was like, it's like a feast or a famine, like any of the arts, I suppose. But he would like be working really good jobs, and then like nothing for months at a time. So I never intended to become an actor. It kind of just happened by mistake. And um, when I was a teenager, I was just getting auditions for things and going for things. And I was like, I'll do this as long as I can. And then it just kind of didn't stop. So I just, <laughs> just fell into it by accident. Um, and then, yeah, I, yeah, W Theatre is great because a lot of the kind of alumni of DIT are all working in theatre and film and TV. So you get kind of, I didn't go to college per se, but like uh, W Theatre is like a really kind of, um, immersive way of learning about the theatre, scene, about writing, about um, yeah, all kinds of acting, directing, everything. So I kind of got a bit of everything, and then yeah, just went from there.
0: Is Dublin Youth Theatre like a kind of amateur theatre company or something,
1: or, or what, what is it? No, like so <clears throat> to be like the umbrella organisation is yeah. called the National Association of Youth Drama, so they have them all around the country. It's basically just. Usually you go once a week, usually a Saturday, and you do like workshops. Um, in a different theme every week. Like one week it might be stagecraft, another it could be stage combat, it could be writing. Like you do it every week, so there's like a few like courses say, like light bulb youth theatre and um. So it's only a theatre is 14 from age 14 to 22 you can join, and um, every year they have like a professional. Uh, like they'll have a show in a professional theatre and um, having a big show and people will come and see it. So it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a, it's like a youth club that's like drama. Yeah. yeah. All
0: right. Did you fall in love with acting from a
1: very young age then? Um. Well, when, when I was a kid, like I, I was sitting like, it's a mad thing because I was like this child actor, but I, I was so young that I didn't really understand what was happening. Yeah. And, like, I was in this film when I was a kid. I don't know if you ever seen it. It's called Agnes Brown. Do you ever see that film? No. Okay. And, um... Definitely not going to offend
0: it now, Yeah,
1: uh, Angelica Houston directed it, and she was in it. And, uh... So I played her daughter in it, but, like, I was so, like, young. I didn't understand what was happening, like... Like, years later, I looked back and I was like... I was just, like, getting up every day. Like, instead of going to school, I was like, right, go to work and meet Angelica Houston now. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God, okay. So, you know, it's kind of like... Um, and then as I got older, like um, I was like incredibly like shy as a kid and as a teenager, I never really spoke much or <clears throat> anything like that. So I joined W here and it was a, a really great way of like coming out my shell and becoming kind of confident again. So I just fell in love with like more so like the people I was hanging around with and it was like loads of crack. And then yeah, I I kind of slowly kind of was like oh my god this is my career now like all of a sudden like I was like 21 and like I had an agent bring me like do you want to sign with me and I was like is this the real thing like can you just do this as your job like and turns out like, you can but
0: <laughs> well, like I, I remember whenever um, me and my brother Carbo were kids and our dad our dad was always involved in the theatre and um, they had a, an amateur theatre company called Asturian Drama in like the Yes, the late 80s and the 90s and then it the kind of transferred over to the professional theatre company Ashton Gare but, um, so from the age of like six he'd you, be you all the time like, banging me into these plays just like it wouldn't be a choice or anything he just be like okay so waiting for Godot there's yeah. a child in that play so obviously I was gonna <laughs> I, put me into it <laughs> and then he'd just say like right you have to come down to after school at like, four o'clock we're doing rehearsals tomorrow at four o'clock yeah. and you'd be down and then we ended up kind of like doing going on tour with these plays like uh, yeah, Brian Frail and
1: Did you do uh, translations as well, Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, the
1: talent you had done like Brian Frail and Brian,
0: So I, I actually wasn't I was in um, an Inish King,
1: this um, is Brian
0: Freil play. Uh, I don't know what that's a, but a translation as well. I don't know what the original version was, but like or maybe any scheme or something, I don't know, but that was one, another one. Yeah. Uh, but it's just gas being a part of that when you're so young, like, and you're just kind of yeah. into it. Like. <laughs> well, not really
1: think that much about it, like, and then, like, now that I look back, I was like, that was just a mad childhood I had for I was like, meeting, like, Hollywood actors, and, like, fucking, like, yeah, I was so worried, like, that film, like, Ray Winston was in it, and, like, Tom Jones was in it, it was this fucking mad film. Like Tom Jones, um, like, sex bomb? Tom Jones! <laughs> <laughs> like, the whole film was about uh, this, like, working class woman in the 60s who, um, do you know Mrs. Brown's voice?
0: Yeah.
1: So, it's that character, but he, it was written as a book for us, before Brandon O'Carroll played it, he wrote a book about... The right. character, and they turned it into a film. So the whole film is about this woman who's like fantasizes about going to see Tom Jones, and she's like working class Dublin sixties. And then at the end, spoiler, she meets him. <laughs> he was just there, and I was just like, "Hey!" <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, stop! Like, <laughs> like, not understanding um, Like,
0: what? You, what age were you whenever you were in that that film?
1: Was, oh, maybe was nine or ten, I think.
0: Wow.
1: Oh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It was so funny. Like, I mean, I just look back, and I'm just like. And then uh, like my dad was just in lots of films and had all these like daddy fucking friends and stuff and I just, I suppose when it's just your norm, like you know yourself, like if when you work, it, like whatever your parents are around all the time, that's just the normal things. So like, oh my God, like what's this person like? Or what's that person like? And I'm like, I don't know, like grand. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: what's been your sort of like, what's been the progression since then?
1: it's all downhill from there that was <laughs> it
0: you picked <laughs> <laughs> you picked whenever you were nine or ten that was it <laughs>
1: Tom Jones <where> the word
0: <laughs>
1: I peaked <laughs> I peaked <laughs> um well I suppose uh I graduated into theater more so um uh it's kind of a mad thing like uh the industry here I'm sure it's the same everywhere but like you're kind of either a theatre actor or a film actor and a telly actor, you know, that kind of way Like people are quite like unimaginative in that way. So because I came from Dublin Youth Theatre, I've mostly worked in theatre. So like, that's just a totally different thing altogether. Like that's a, it's it different like skill set. It's a different, you know, that kind of way. So you're kind of, the like kind of appeal for like film and TV for me is that you can just learn it, do it once and then it's done or a couple of times. Whereas with theatre, the kind of challenge of it is to, to do it every night for sometimes weeks, sometimes months at a time. Try and make it fresh every night, try and make it fun all the time, you know, that kind of way. So, um, yeah, I've been kind of doing that um, the last few years and worked at lots of daily theatre companies and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah.
0: Is there like, um, you know, on, when you're on stage in the theatre, yeah. like, that's is that more of like a, you're more exposed there because like there's no like stop and try it again.
1: Yeah. Compared yeah.
0: to the TV, like so what what what's that like? You're kind of in that situation.
1: Um. Yeah, it's a mad thing because I suppose like yeah, that's the thing is that like if you fuck up or you forget a line, like you just have to like try and use that or somehow get get out of it, and like it's the it's like it's the like scariest fucking feeling in the world but then also like that's the buzz that you get from it is that it's live it's live theater and um you're getting like a a direct response from your audience as well whereas like when you film something like sometimes I like I did like a film a year and a half ago I still not out and I just forget about that and it's gone whereas with this it's like you're you're there and like if someone finds something funny they're gonna laugh if someone like is upset they're gonna so the the reaction is more direct and like that's, that, it's hard to like uh, convey it, but like it's a fucking buzz. Like it's like, you know, your fucking heart is just like, ah, like it's, so that's the appeal of that is the adrenaline and the fucking, um, the kind of, just how the, the live it is. Like, and is there,
0: is there like a bigger release at the end? Because obviously when you're filming for TV, the, like you can be doing a wee bit, but the other people that are in the same show might not even be there at the same time. And then, but whereas when it's a theatre, you're like, everyone's at the same time, finishing at the same time, and then you're backstage and everyone's kind of celebrating.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, like, there's, like the TV show that I'm on, there's p- people in that, that I've never met before. I've never had a scene with them.
0: Hey, really? Them. No yeah.
1: And I'm like on it like nearly two years now, like a year and a half. And like, people be like, oh, what's this person like? And I'm like, um, sound, I think, like, uh, because it's a soap so you're usually only with the same like five or six actors all the time so there's like three people ever that I'm in with that's in my storyline like as well because I'm a newer character so it's so weird when like and like sometimes I might run into them and I'd be like hey, we're like hey hey that's <laughs> good it's such a weird thing but yeah that release at the end um of it like a, a theater show and like especially like uh if you're touring like I did a tour of translations as well the, the uh, Brian Friel show and we turned uh, toured all around the UK with it and like it's uh that was such a mad thing because when you're touring an Irish show in the UK like it's just all Irish audiences come and they want to talk to you after and like buy a drink and it's like it's such a mad thing because it's like instant gratification but then like there's also like the kind of darker side of that is then like the come down from plays is way harder I think as well if they're successful sometimes you're doing like uh, not that often but like sometimes you're doing a really shit show and you can't wait for it to be over but like with those big shows like you're kind of like you're boozing every night you're having a couple pints every night you're being told you're right all the time you have all these people coming up to you and then you're not working then for like weeks and you're like oh I used to be somebody it's, it can be it can be quite tough like in that way that um you know so you have to be careful where you p- place Uh, you're kind of like where you find your gratification from where you find value from because otherwise it's like otherwise it gets very low
0: (laughs) well actually that was kind of like leads on to the next question I was going to ask you anyway because just when we're talking about the theatre and how like sort of exposed you are on stage and how like the show has to go on regardless of whether you fucking make a mistake or not like you ever see that that, um, name where it's like uh, and the therapist says, "And what do we do whenever? What do we say whenever we feel like this?" And then the actor says, "That's showbiz, baby." And the therapist is just like, "Ah." Oh. <laughs> but um, everything that goes along with that, like, um, for the pressure of having to learn such a big body of work and being able to like uh, do it consistently, regardless of how you're feeling, and then the everything that comes along with touring and arriving the venue and getting yourself ready and getting all your shit together doing it then they come down after it and then what you were saying like going out and stuff and then being away from home and then it stops and all that kind of stuff so there must be like positive and negative sort of impact on your you as a person then because of all those things
1: yeah definitely Like, like i think like uh it like it takes a certain definitely a certain kind of person a certain temperament to be an actor and like that and that's not anything to do with skill or anything like that but uh like first of all it like so much of your job is rejection like because then you're into auditions auditions and like you're literally it's and the ironic thing is actors are the most insecure and needy people you'll ever fucking meet in your life. And but, but we've also chosen this career where, like, our whole career is in the hands of someone else. Like, it doesn't matter how prepared you are how good you are. Like, you could just walk into an audition room and they're just like, they just look at you and go, oh, no, nah, she's not. Like, they're just from the lucky and that. Nah. And you don't even know that. And you're going and giving everything. And then, yeah, like, um, and I suppose it's the same. It must be the same for, like, I've heard, like, musicians who gig a lot as well. It's the same thing where... Um, yeah, you're you're kind of, and like you said, it's, it's you're very exposed all the time. It's a very vulnerable. You have to be very vulnerable. You have to be incredibly vulnerable, but also really thick skinned. And like the two of those things are like like it's an oxymoron. So we're just all oxymorons going around. So yeah, I you just have to, like I said, you have to just um, be careful where you place uh, like your kind of worth in a way. Like uh, it's not it's not based on how how much they laughed or how much they come up to you after the show, and be like, that's amazing, and this and that, um, and like with any buzz or any adrenaline rush, like, it, it, when, when that goes away, it's always going to be, like, a really kind of, you know, a really hard time, but that's why, like, going back to spoken word, that was one of the reasons that I started writing, like, I'd always actually written, but, um, I kind of was a bit sick of, like, my career and my uh, acting being in someone else's hands or being out of my control, if you know what I mean. So, um, for me, it was right. Like, that's why I always say to actors, like, have some kind of hobby or outlet or some kind of creative outlet because, oh, yeah, otherwise you'll drive yourself insane. And, I mean, it's a real cliche, but so many actors are, like, big drinkers or whatever else. uh, And you can just see that happening if you start to, like, not be able to express yourself creatively you just go fucking mad
0: that's actually something that me and lewis touched on a little bit during the chat that we had um last night actually uh, yeah. the about i suppose partly part of the chat was about building the, the sort of dangers of building an identity around something and then people associate you as being just like an, an actor or just being a poet or just being a sports person and with, I, I suppose like when you're talking about uh, like I suppose most of the arts but like especially like uh, acting and mu- musicians and I mean, it, it applies to sports people as well, it's like it's a very f- f- fickle kind of like thing to build your identity around because you can be at the top of the world mm. on one day and then the next day like if your whole identity is based around that thing and that thing is gone then you, you can feel like you're nobody all of a sudden and yeah. like um the then i suppose so how, how do you like i mean when you think about acting like that's that can happen that probably happens on a regular basis because like you're saying about the audition it's not as if like you walk into an audition that there's anything wrong with you if they decide not to give you the part it's just going to be looking for somebody like who's got red hair and you walk in and you've got brown hair and then they're like well that's that's not what we're looking
1: for yeah yeah exactly yeah well I think that's where like the separation between like like sports people and maybe like actors is that like like with with other kind of things like that you can like the more prepared you are and the more you train the better you're going to be whereas acting is so um is it what's the word objective or subjective it's one of that
0: subjective one together. yeah no the one you're talking about it's like up to somebody
1: else basically <laughs> <laughs> it's all right but like as in um do you know what I mean like as in it's so funny like so like even my housemate are watching stuff together like loads down because uh uh obviously we're on lockdown but like as in you watch front and you'd be like I'd be like oh my god she's fucking unreal and she'd be like oh my god no she's shite she's overacting she's this and you could just have one performance and like People just think such extreme different things.
0: Yeah,
1: and neither of them are wrong. Like one person like prefers this style or whatever, but it's like it it it's, it can be, yeah be really hard in that
0: way. Um, yeah, and well, then, art is completely subjective. That's the thing, Like It's <laughs> like that's subjective is the word, but like yeah. it, it's in like one person can think that a painting is completely shades and the other person can think it's, cha- it's yes. going to change their life. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, said, and, and, and neither is wrong, like, do you know what I mean? yeah. there's no wrong, but it's like, okay, but I need to make money. Like yeah. money yeah. fucking And, yeah. like, I actually think that I don't audition well. I know loads of people do say that, but I think... Um, most things that I've ever I get so fucking nervous and like anyone will tell you even before like I do spoken word or anything even if I've written it myself I've done it a million times before I met on stage or anything I get really nervous but I can give myself a pep talk before auditions I find it really hard because you don't know what you're walking into you've no control over the situation and I'd say, like, 80% of the things that I've gotten, probably more, like, are, are based on someone seeing me in something. They've seen me in another play. They've seen, like, one of my videos online. They've seen, like, seen a film I was in or something like that. Um, so I think uh, that's, an, like, another thing that just frustrates me. <laughs> so I'm just, like, when you kind of go in, you build it up, you prepare yourself, and you just fuck it. You just, like, it's halfway through the scene you just like you freeze and you forget and you just kind of go oh fuck um, that's why self-tapes are going nailed up People just go you film it yourself and you send it in yeah. self-tape this morning and like we did like five takes of it and then you just look through it and you go this is the best one you can send it off at least but um walk into a room and it's like and they're always so nice they're like hey how are you like they're overly nice like, ah! <laughs> <Like,
0: laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's interesting here you talk about that because they're, they're, they're there are so many, like I suppose it's with anything where there's like a, an element of like having to perform on the spot, and the all the pressure that comes with that, then like that mm-hmm. must be something that like you could possibly get a lot of positive sort of like adaptations from, in that you have to have some way of preparing yourself to go in and like do the business, like, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's maybe like another kind of like, kind of part with sport if anyone's in that line, like I think actually just listening to you talk about the thing about the um, the fickleness of it. I think the comparison with sport is actually injury, in that like you could be tr- prepared to if your heart's content, and then you go ahead and break your leg, and then yeah. that you finish for a while. But um, the next thing that oh, I was just thinking about asking you there. Um, Do you ever see that uh, to quote like another meme, but uh, that, that <laughs> you know that one that has uh, the picture of. The person who's like asking a musician to do a gig and they'll be like it'll be you'll get loads of exposure and they're like great because like my rent is 200 exposures so if i can get sweet yeah. uh, what's the where are we at in ireland with like theater and stuff at the moment
1: um well i think uh i mean there there's oh, no i don't know um That's a tough question yeah well like I mean like the thing is like we have like the arts council and um and that's supposed to be a a, um, kind of a place we can go and say this is my idea and Um, but then you if you've ever applied for anything at the arts council like there's a it's an amazing scale to be able to do an application form for anything I'm sure you've done uh, you've fucking had your fill of application forms
0: I've actually never done anything with the arts council sure like
1: no, but not to we but just even terms oh, of applying for oh, shit. Oh, like, yeah, in general,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: but you're just like, and they're asking you such stupid questions, and you're just like, so you're trying to just figure out what do they want me to say? It doesn't matter what my idea is or how good it is or how much, you know, how kind of, like, yeah, how amazing it is. I have to word this in a way. So that's where, like, you have to have producers. So producers come in, but you have to pay producers. And a lot of time, you kind of go, "Oh well, I'll get this producer to apply on my behalf." And then when we get the money, I'll give the, the producer that money. So you have to save them. You know, like it's like this thing where there there is like ways to get money out there, but it's like in order to get that, you have to be asking people to do shit for free. And you're I, you're kind I, of
0: jumping through
1: the hoops that they're yeah, in and fear, I, anyway, yeah, and um, I think like yeah, there's definitely like like for me like. I'm fucking in my 30s now and I just made a decision like a couple of years ago that I was like, I'm just not going to do anything for free anymore. Like unless it's for fucking charity or something, I can't, you have to put a price on yourself. Um, and I think if you, yeah, if you keep doing the thing for exposure, you it's just gonna, you're never gonna, people are just going to think you're going to do shit for free all the time. Um, and like I have, I have broken down a couple of times for stuff that I really was like, this is going to be deadly. And it will eventually make money somehow um but like um I know even like la- me and my friend have been working on the show for a couple of years and the reason it's taken so long or long is because we keep we're applying to get money so we can bring actors in because I don't ask anyone to do something for free so we get a bit of funding we work with a group of actors and then that's grand then we get more so I think like I wouldn't want to do anything for free so I wouldn't want to ask anyone to do anything for free but then it's just really hard then because it's taken so long to get this show made um so yeah I I think it's like uh I I I don't mind like like with spoken word stuff like that's still kind of new to me and also it's like I just really enjoy doing it and I didn't get like there's there's no one who gets into spoken words to make money so um like i i am kind of a bit more kind of willing to do stuff like that myself for nothing in terms of yeah acting and gigs and all that kind of shit i think people really take the piss and i think hopefully when we form our liberal um socialist government they they'll um they'll be like art for
0: everyone it could be happening sooner than we think by the time this cold coronavirus is after passing do, do you think that uh, sort of like exposure culture does that indicate that like maybe we potentially don't place a high enough value on the arts in Ireland as a society um yeah
1: well definitely in terms of like uh like yeah on a and at the top level as in from like a government perspective the art not uh, the ironic thing is they fucking they the tourist uh the tourist industry is it like makes money off the art like our art like fucking previous artists and, and writers and we sell ourselves on like James Joyce and you know, like, yeah, Brian Friel and all these, the great playwrights, you know, fucking Tom Murphy and Come to the Abbey Theatre and, um like, so much of our tourism is, like, fucking, you know, when you go on one of those go buses, I remember I had to go on one years ago because a German friend over and I was showing her around and so much of it, like, if you if you look at it, it's, like, The Appeal is a writer who had to fuck off to another country because Ireland wasn't like giving them any money and then Ireland tries to sell itself on that so um I think uh like it's we're yeah at the minute like not to get too into politics but we are kind of like if we don't place uh an importance at the at the top level on arts then no one else is going to take it seriously um I think like uh yeah I think like all our Arts Council funding was cut obviously during the recession everything was cut but then it's taken so many cuts so many cuts so many cuts and it's like at this age I mean why why should anyone bother really or like so many people are going to the UK or wherever else because they're making more money there you know in that kind of way
0: yeah like that does open up a really serious question about um, how art is valued in any society in general and what the importance of it is and what the positive Impact that, uh, like, a society that values the arts and supports the arts in the right way, what positive impact that can have on the society. And like, when I think about, say, Ireland, just even from around about the time of 2008 when the recession hit in the last 10 or 12 years, mm. like, like whenever I think about the arts, and like, especially when you think about now, like everyone's at home, like loads of people are doing creative things now because they' they're in their house and they have to be at home and they're off work and stuff like that but you think when I think about the impact that that art has in terms of like physical health and mental health and communities mm. it's like it, it's immeasurable really and when you compare that to the mental health crisis that we have at the minute in Ireland and the amount of people that are taking their lives on a very regular basis it seems like there's like one of the most obvious things that can help to impact that in a positive way isn't being valued to the right level and then we're spending too much time on like just trying to put out fires on and like even like even I mean even even the mental health services aren't supported enough but then there's even deeper than that if on a more basic level if we supported the arts more potentially have like a really positive impact on people's mental and physical health and the communities that we have here as well Yeah.
1: yeah I think like even like yeah exactly that and uh like even the fact that like drama isn't like you know in in school and like some schools have it but like that's not like like it should be just a standard thing or else it'll be like drama or sports like one or the other yeah yeah and it's like boys do sports and girls do drama and it's like it like it becomes a kind of a people just kind of start to lose interest then because it's like there's no kind of integration of it and it's it's not like Taken, taken seriously. But um, you said something else there that was fairly interesting. Now that I was gonna, I was gonna respond to. Um, uh,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm gonna put some more fuel in the fire while you're thinking about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the podcast is still gonna be going though. So if you feel like okay. saying anything, like just go ahead. I have to take my headphones out because okay. No, hang on. Actually, no. Don't. Sweet. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay. Anyway. I I okay that's good just keep an eye now out there done. <laughs> that's <by> the fire. <laughs> uh, even when i'm thinking back to whenever i was in secondary school and we were very fortunate to have a school that did, that really did place a um a strong emphasis on a sport and art and also on like the sciences and stuff but uh it was more of a case of uh just like division of resources i think whenever we were in school as opposed to any like philosophical like thing where it had to be art or science but we had yeah. still had to make the choice somewhere along the line whether we wanted to just to, to focus more on art or focus more on, on science and it's uh, something that kind of caused a bit of like uh, i guess like a kind of a controversy or like some because because a lot of people like don't want to don't want to be like okay I'm an artist at 15 or be like okay I'm a scientist at 15 like you know so yeah it's good to have the the variety there So when you're especially yeah. at such a young age, like
1: um class. I, remember, I was I remember what i on saying uh because you were talking about um mental health and, and the art and stuff like that and one of the things that always like really interests me just in terms of like like division between like like art and actual real human people because like when I, I lived in London for a few years and the, the difference in London is like people actually go see theatre that aren't um like don't work in theatre whereas they're just like people who don't work in the arts don't go and see stuff and it's real like that's for that those kind of people are rich people or whatever and um like uh like the Abbey Theatre is in uh is our national theatre it's in Dublin 1 uh it's in very rough working class in our city Dublin and like I went to school on the same street as the abbey, um in Mal- on Malbra street and um like it's it's mad just to think like like uh, and around that area there's like a lot there's like a methadone clinic right beside the abbey and then there's like a homeless shelter um and there's a few like homeless charities there so you get a lot of people walking past there and it's like and then these people like going to see these plays and pay, paying loads of money to go, and it's it, and like often it'll be like you know plays about working class people. I get people in to be like working class Dublin, this is it, and and but like the people like pushing past like all these people to, like you know drug addicts and homeless people to get in to see uh, plays that are about issues and like I am not trying to make any big point, but it's just like it's it's I think like art is so kind of separate as a thing in Ireland where it's like we, it's so it should be so ingrained in our culture because like I say we're such a small island, and our, our con- contribution to the arts has been felt like so broadly around the world in every country like um, like James Joyce and Brian Friel there's no country where people don't know who they are and, and like their plays have been, or Brian Friel's plays has like been translated as to every language and put on everywhere um, especially play like translations anywhere where there's ever been like any kind of struggle like I think they did it in um, in uh, um, fucking what's uh, in Spain the, the Catalan country Catalonia, uh, Catalonia. <laughs> <laughs> like, they did it. like they did translations there because like the struggle is similar like you know, in that kind of way yeah. and and um, uh, like so it's just so annoying that like we have all these like people around the world who are like uh, who probably have more value on or not even value but just more kind of knowledge and of our arts than like people like here do which you not kind of way we don't learn about it in school then we yeah. don't learn it.
0: it's interesting though because like so like this is years ago now but whenever say I might have been like helping out with one of the, the Ashling Gear plays or maybe yeah. if they were going on tour that i would go with them if i was off school for the summer or whatever and i remember going around where certain plays like even even in the culture land like where the theater is when they were doing them there kind of like for the home crowd as such they'd be doing plays that that are real real artistic plays or like classics or whatever and um Put their everyone would put their heart and souls into it, like with the rehearsals and the preparation and the set and everything. And Sean McShane would be making the set, and and, like he's been making sets for for the plays in Belfast like since they began. And then it, then sometimes like only like a few people would come to see it. Yeah. And then, I I was kind of like, whoa! it's like, it's mad because it's not like people know that's on. Yeah. But then. And there was, I kind of felt there was something there that, like, people felt disconnected from mm. it. And it, I, I was, like, never, I don't know, was it just people felt like it was kind of, like, orch or something like that there, or, or like, <laughs> it's a way out there. But then, because there could be, in the next month, there could be a play on about the hunger strikes that would be packed out, sold out every single night. And... Yep that's uh, the way I could see why people will come to that because they felt directly connected to it. They were like, this is a play about me and our family and whoever else is that I know down the road river and they can relate to it more. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, is, is, that a, is that a thing that pe- people like maybe like don't relate to theater as much anymore for some reason? Well,
1: well I think like, I think that's the thing. I think like it, it is getting a bit better in terms of like, like obviously representation is so important. So like, like when I was a teenager and someone was just, like putting on a, play about like working class Dublin and like there's they haven't in any way or like they'd be like oh this is about a uh, drug addiction and they've not spoken to anyone who's ever had an addiction to drugs and then like a few years ago like I don't know if you've heard of there's a theatre company called Theatre Club and that's one of the companies that I started with when I started acting and um they kind of made like it's called documentary theatre such a wanky word but like basically they would like, if they, they would do plays about, um, social issues, but like, they'd work with like, like Grace Dyes, who, um, was one of the founders of the company. Like she worked with drug, drug addicts, um, here in Inchicore, and St. Michael's, um, for like three years. And was like, uh, didn't go in and be like, I'm going to make a play about these people. She's like, okay, I'm going to work, do drama workshops with these people. And, uh, the stories she was hearing were amazing. And then, so she, uh, with a few of their permission was like, can I tell the story? And, um, basically, took her time to, to work with people whose story it was, rather than just being like, I'm going to write an issue play. Mm-hmm. This is what I think it's like, or I've read a few books or whatever. So I think like, you have to engage with the communities that you're interested in or talking about. But like, it should be like people telling their own stories as opposed to, people being told their stories too if you know what I mean like someone just telling you your experience that has not lived that experience is really um, just not appealing at all do you know that kind of way
0: there's so. a really good book that I read uh, last year or the year before uh, it's called Chavs and the under the subtitle is the Demonization of the working class and um, actually you know what now that I think about it it could be that one or it could be there's another one called P- Poverty Safari um, and okay. By, uh, by a, guy, a, a guy from Scotland. Actually, kind of spoken word guy. Um, what's his name again? I Can't remember the guy who named the guy who wrote it now. But um, in, actually and it was more. so in poverty so far that they were saying about that. But like in working class areas, the the thing that makes it a real difference is when it's the the like what you just exactly what you said is when the people themselves who are from those areas uh, are able to. Um, work for their own benefit or like tell their own story and instead of like people like academic people coming in and either writing a little story about it and then disappearing again or coming in and setting up a little project and then disappearing again and then be like oh that's my PhD sorted now I did this project Mm -hmm. and then they're gone and then the people who they were sort of studying or you know like in the community with then are kind of left to their own Devices, which is something really we were really conscious of, whenever we were over in Palestine, there and we were making a, doc- a documentary about yeah. the whole process of going over there and yeah. setting up the gym in the refugee camp and stuff. Was that it wasn't going to be, which I think is a real, is a real thing, like especially like for people like say from to the Western world or whatever going over yeah. and and like doing, like doing something exactly something in Africa or like doing something yeah. in the Middle East or somewhere in South America and then. Kind of doing the the project, documenting it some way, and then <laughs> somehow managing to turn that whole thing around to be the foot, and it and then them to be the focus of the thing, yeah, and then yeah, coming yeah. out of it, and then yeah. as if like oh like look how great we are when really the real benefit comes from um, giving yeah. people the opportunity to tell their own story and yeah. them being the focus of it because that's the one thing that. Like, that's the one thing that people in places that are, like, in conflict zones or under oppression or in real poverty, I think a lot of the times the people that are there can build and they uh, they can kind of, like, do things... For themselves, a lot of the time. But the thing that they can that that is hardest is is sharing their story with other people outside of that zone, because
1: mm-hmm. a lot of the
0: time it's kind of like it's in a bubble or something like that, whether it's like uh, enforced by like a oppression or enforced by poverty, because you just can't get the, the news out. Like so, I think that's like kind yeah. of connected a little bit, kind of what you were saying there.
1: Yeah, it's platforming, like it's 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 like platforming people to tell their own stories. So that's why it's important to be for um, and not that like the Abbey yeah, aren't doing this. I'm, like they've gotten better with like hiring female writers and directors. But then like all the other voices as well. Like we need to be platforming, you know, people from all kinds of marginalized groups and um and for it not to just be like a, a box that's ticked. Like this, make sure the stories that you're telling are, um you know, again, engaging with those communities um and I think like a way, a way to do that is to be like I just think even the fact that the Abbey is in Dublin and like it's but it's a national theater like and and they do run some workshops from it but like there should be workshops in every county like at some stage and hearing everyone's stories um and not just like Dublin voices or you know like this kind of you know oh we've got one play from the north you know and one from Kerry like we tick 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 you know that kind of way that we're like uh what are the fucking stories that we're not here? and and there's so many of them and um I think like uh I think just how we approach, like going back to just like skills and Normalizing the art so that it's, it's, yeah, it is a thing. Like, because I t- teach as well, I teach drama, I haven't in a couple of years, but like, I used to teach kids, like, um, and teenagers, and like, kids, like, fucking love drama, like, it's their favorite thing in the world, and like, they kind of love everything in school, they haven't learned to like hate any subjects yet, really. Like, and the kids, I would teach them like four to like eight, and you're just like, okay, so now just pick an animal, and you're an animal, and they're just like, <laughs> and then when you go but then when you go by the time you go in to work with teenagers now obviously teenagers are arseholes anyway i don't know but um like they're difficult but like as in like you have to do like four workshops before you even approach like pretend to be a dog or pretend because yeah,
0: they like, pull back
1: the layers a bit more but, but, yeah, but kind of- because they're so reserved and, and they like like, our imaginations are so dulled by the time we're in secondary school because all of a sudden it's like, right, these are all the things you need to remember for this class. is all your homework for this. Like, and and so, like, your imagination becomes so limited and limited, and limited and um And so, like, like uh, I've, most of the kind of skills that I worked in were, again, just by chance, not that I, <laughs> I chose this, but, like, all very, like, working class Dublin areas. And, like... They, they just have such like great stories and great when you, when you kind of try and tap into it mm. and, and so, but the, the the tragedy sometimes they're like, we can pay you for four weeks and you're just getting to like the good stuff. <laughs> and then you have to go. So obviously funding is a huge thing, but like, I know even the skill that I went to, well, I went to a very small school and it was an Irish school and there was like no, like there was like two plays like that we could do and we only did them for So it was like, you can do this play about dumping, illegal dumping or this play about pregnancy. And it was like, or like you can do fucking what's on, on trail again. Like it's like, no one wants to do on trail. So it's like, like, but there's loads of deadly um, theater makers and writers out there. Um, who are writing in Irish and stuff like that. But, again, they're not being platformed. So, like our, our choice as sixteen-year-olds, as do you want to do a play about illegal dumping? Like, and um, so do yeah. an egg and a dump all that was.
0: <laughs> Here, you mentioned something there, which I think is like a, an important point to um maybe like chat about a little bit again because you, we just talked about the a few minutes ago. We we're talking about the potential positive impact that the arts has on society and things like mental health. And then you were just chatting about um, teaching in working class areas and how the kids were, you know, like come out of their shell and they they would have, I mean, what we're talking about there is giving people, um, a way to express themselves. And Mm -hmm. when you think about like the, the whole thing about like, um, socially underdeveloped areas or places that suffer high levels of poverty and child poverty especially like the the major impact of that is that people find it very hard to express themselves because there's the, the the sort of trauma and oppression is like layered on in, in yeah. nearly every aspect of day-to-day life yeah. so it's something like drama is it's like that's the it's the perfect medium to give people the opportunity to get something out because whether you're like pretending to be somebody else or you're putting things in context or you're working with a teacher who's kind of helping you pull back the layers to the point yeah. where you can now like express yourself either directly or indirectly, yeah. and like that's the that's priceless. Like I mean, when you say that while like, well, you make it four weeks and then you're gone, is yeah. pathetic when you think about it. Like.
1: Yeah, but that's the thing. And, like, forex is not enough for anything. And, um, like, it's the fucking... Stereoty- like, the uh, Robin Williams and um, what's the, uh, Dead Poets Society. Like, in you know that kind of way, like, it just takes one one teacher to just be like, you're actually deadly at this thing or you're good at that thing. And then it could change or transform your whole life. Do you know that kind of way? And, um, sorry, it's um uh Like, the, th- the thing about that, when I was... Uh, there was one... Um, school in particular that I, I for six weeks and um like they were like they wanted to play at the end of it now and, and I was like it would take a year to do a play with these kids like they, like you say to them we right, get getting a circle and it takes 10 minutes like they're, they're not used to like kind of the kind of structure of a workshop never mind
0: putting on a play in and, like, and it is a, it's a it's a thing you need to work on helping people to f- feel the, like that they're in a safe place so that they, can, they can't express themselves it's not just like you can just be like okay we're doing a play like
1: yeah and there always are the kids like the, the um we call them the Billy Barry kids I don't know if you have Billy Barry skills where you are but like you know like the kind of like the kids who are like musical and yeah and, <laughs> and they're not the interesting kids that you want to work with you want the like the like kind of real quiet one who's, like, got, like, a mysterious little... You know, kind of, yeah. you're like, you're... There's uh, something great in them. But, the, the, like, the, when I was out in Farm it was so funny because um even how... Like, they, they had to have a teacher in the room because my uh, guard clearance hadn't come true in time, which, also, that's another big fucking thing is trying to get Garda clearance for things. It takes weeks and then you miss the class. But, they so, it's a teacher. It, but, like, it, whenever, like, something exciting was happening or fun or they're really laughing and this... And he was just like, like Cúneas, like tell them to shut up. And uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's such like, a that's an interesting thing as well because we we work with a lot of kids in in like and th- there's we worked with this group of kids from um, Gaza who were doing a tour of Ireland. Oh uh, they were a soccer team a few years ago and oh. I, they were playing of Corks. So I invited them to, to come to the gym and to do a little session after their match and that they had in Cork and then like we had control of them for like two minutes or five minutes yeah maybe six minutes and then they just went mental like I was like <laughs> kind of, <"Rrr,"> run around <laughs> and, and then no like and then there was a second there where we were like fuck we're like we're, we're fucking stop them and then I was like hang on a second I was like just maybe just let them just go mental and just like have that free time to just go and do whatever they want and then at the, it was really like kind of like a touching thing because the coach then that their, their manager came over at the end and he's like, this is amazing. He's like, just to see them so free and just like able to do whatever they want in a safe place. They're like, this is the first time they've ever been in a gym and they're like doing like tumbles and swinging yeah. off the bars and rings and everything. And like, head all them, mean, like- there's a lot of value in just breaking out of the mold like that and just like doing whatever you want.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that's it. And like, especially, like it's such a mad thing. Like, I think like this is just a totally different, like, will go too into but just like the the education system in terms of like you know your how controlled it is i need to be here every day at this time do this class this class this class you know like you're it's like a memory test you have to remember all this stuff for this big test and then you're 17 they're like right so what do you want to do for the rest of your life <laughs> i'm like sorry um i don't know i'm seven i'm 17 like i don't even know what i want to do like it's a mad thing we do where it's like you know like that thing they say where like you know uh, one week you have to ask can you go to the toilet and then a week later it's like right what do you want to do for the rest of your life it's like they've gone from having no control to have to have to make these huge decisions so yeah there's there is so much value in just like like going talk about four weeks of drama workshops the first four weeks is just it's all just games like it's having fun like, like you say just everyone getting to know each other and like making a show of themselves and being silly like that's such a huge part of it doesn't like it doesn't have to lead to like putting on a play or you know that kind of way like it, the teachers are like the, the grown-ups man no like they always want like a project and like the thing about art and theater and like drama is that it, it's not a project and it shouldn't be and it, it, they're, like that's why I do hate those kind of drama skills the Billy Barry skills is because like my two sisters go, go to one well one of them's just left but like it's like so much pressure and competitions and um, you know like costumes and fake tan and all this kind of shit and the kids are put under so much pressure and they already get that from their parents and from schools and the arts should be an escape from all that whether it is a drama class or going and see a play or you know reading a book or anything like that um, escapism um, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Something I want, it's kind of like something I wanted to ask you just for the crack because I know we kinda of spoke about it before. Is um so what happens when you're walking around Dublin and uh, people recognize you from being the first city?
1: Like greatest artistic achievements of all. Well. <laughs> uh, what happens? I just got oh, I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. It's actually so funny. Because, uh, I still uh, I still work in a bar and uh like we we're saying, we're gonna and so people are always like at the bar and they'd be like and then someone's sort of like, I know you from somewhere and I'm like, Yeah and they go, like, Oh no, I do, I know you from somewhere and I'd be like, oh, i am like, I dunno, like I'm from Iswal, is it Iswal? And I'm like, obviously I don't want to be like, uh, it's a <laughs> like, oh,
0: no, You may know, gonna... know me from such shows yeah. such as <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> And also like I'm like working in the bar pulling your pint is a bit. Um and I just, yeah, so I just, I, I play dumb for as long as I can because I just, like, I just cringe so much. Not, at, I just at myself because I'm just like, because the conversation doesn't know where to go then. They're like, oh, are you impressed first? And you're like, yeah. And they'd be like, ah, oh, what's it like? And you're like, go. Like, it's just.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do some people come up to you though when they're like,
1: you bitch, know, you did this thing the other day? <laughs> like,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, because I I, 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 cheated. I cheated on Dara. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> all I get, you broke his heart. Absolutely, you are to break in his heart. Like anyone over 60 they they'd be like, "Like I broke Jara's heart, and um, I'll never." But like, um, my my housemate, um, she used to be on first eight years ago as well. And she like broke the heart of like one of the big characters on it, and she like got abused. Like to this day, people seem to be like you fucking bitch.
0: Like, on on some level, is that, is that an indication that like some it, like is it is that a form of people engaging with art in a way, in a random way? Is that is that is that a thing, or do you think it's just like
1: no, I think like uh. I don't know. I'm not saying there is no art to soap opera. But I think uh, it's more to do with, like, uh, that's more, like, absolute escapism, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think, uh, like, but I don't know, like, maybe. Like, I have this, um, I feel like we've been talking for seven hours now, but I have this really good story about my dad, right? Uh, my dad, do you, speak, do you remember that show called The Ambassador on the BBC years ago? And... Um, it was a four-part series, and it was like really, really big at the time. And it was about the um, it was about the English ambassador in Ireland, I think. But there's a storyline about the IRA, and and my dad plays this character uh, who basically is in the IRA, and then he uh, grasses up with me, and uh, so. He there was this lad around the corner that he used to buy his hash off, right? And he'd a, he'd a letter in the door one day saying, uh, come see me now, Georgie. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is this about? So my dad went around and Georgie's like, uh, here, what's this I'm out there hearing about you fucking grassing up, your me? My dad was like, <laughs> This is like, this cunt is like real trying. he's like, uh, he's like, I'm hearing things around. I'm just, I'm not gonna say who, but I'm hearing things. And this fella, a hundred percent, thought like this was real. And my dad was like, "It's a TV show." And he's like, "I don't know, like just people saying stuff now." <laughs>
0: no
1: way. And it's just like people, honestly, like the show. You, they don't understand. I don't, and I just like how do you react to that? Like my dad was like, "I swear, George, it was just <laughs>
0: interrogation." Oh,
1: <my> <laughs> so like, imagine like you had a, and got killed or
0: something (laughs) here um something that you mentioned earlier about having uh, a hobby or sort of a parallel project or pursuit that runs alongside acting and uh, and like i suppose in in a way like for you that's the spoken word stuff isn't it Uh and what what was it that attracted you to the spoken word
1: um well like i always like what I actually wanted to do when I was a kid was be a writer, like that's what I always wanted to do up until I was like, um, like all through my teens, because I hated performing in front of, like I was, saying, I was so shy, I hated being in front of people, I hated speaking in front of people, anything like that until I went to youth theatre, so, um, and then like I had that cliche thing when I was like 15 where I discovered like Sylvia Plath and like skiing and I was like, oh, fucking deep, man. So I just started writing, 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 and I just always wrote poetry, and I never wrote it for anybody in particular. Um, and then I lived in London for a few years, and when I moved back from London, I um, it was it was just like I moved over to a really like big show over there, and I worked for like two years, didn't work for a year, and I moved back, and I felt a bit like I felt really like I um, I was starting again or something. Like I felt like I had failed because I. I had gone to London to do the London acting, and, and then like in my head, I was like, I failed at that. So, um, then I, um, went to see that show riot. Did you ever hear that show that was on the, this is pop baby show. No. It was this musical cabaret show of different arts. It was on in Fringe, Dublin Fringe. And then it went on to be in Street. And, uh, there was loads of spoken word in it and stuff like that. And Emma Kerwin was in it and I knew him as an actor. Um, and I knew him years, and then he had started writing stuff and performing stuff. So I kind of was just like, maybe that's something I could do. And then I went to Body and Soul, and I just saw loads of people I knew were starting to do it. So I just tested it out and I wrote something. And that, that thing of, you know, like serendipitous thing, like Linda Devlin was there, and she's like a huge kind of person in spoken word. She like books loads of gigs. And she was like, do you want to do it at this? And then someone saw me and booked me for something else. So it kind of, again, all, it wasn't really planned and I still wouldn't really, like, it's so weird. I don't feel like, I, like I'm a spoken word just, do you know what I just mean? Like, cause like yeah. they're in a little gang together and they won't, like, gang, no, it's not that. <laughs> but, like, you know, there is definitely, like, a, a kind of a, I, I, I'm still very new to it. So I, I feel a bit like a newbie in some ways.
0: Um, a lot of your Spoken word stuff is kind of like social commentary and like uh, to, talking about issues that are real current and like real like um, emotional as well. Like they're kind of emotionally charged issues a lot of the time. Like uh, yeah. So um, that's is that, is that kind of part of the, is that kind of some part of the reason why you're attracted to it because it kind of gives you and it gives you an outlet for those for those issues I guess.
1: Yeah, I think it was like we were saying earlier on where um I, I like I think Emmett Kerwin has been so good and in terms of like I think cuz he's older than a lot of the spoken word artists that would be kind of going around at the minute and um, he he's like the grandest spoken word. No, he he um And he was speaking about, like, just having his own accent was a huge thing. And uh, talking about, like, Dublin Old School, that play that he wrote that did turned into a film, uh, was was talking about Dublin in a way that I hadn't really seen before. And so I kind of was like, uh, like, I was looking around at a lot of spoken word, and I was like, I feel like some of the stuff I'm writing isn't really being talked about. So I think, like, I don't really know how it happened. I kind of, like... I guess anger fuels me a lot in terms of my writing. Um, so if I'm ever like, I suppose just any kind of high emotion. So like, obviously, like when you're in love, you write about love. And when you're angry, you write about, you know, in a way. So, um, writing and social issues are the two
0: things.
1: Wanting to ride. That would be my and um. then... <laughs> but well, uh, no I think like that's the thing is that like they're so but like I, I'm well aware that I don't want to s- just be like an angry poet either so I think th- that's where the performance like my acting background has helped me in terms of like playing around with like timing and pace and that's not just like really shouty because there's a lot of times like I go to see something and the, the actual poem will be really good but like maybe the tone is just very samey or if it's, if someone's just shouting something at you for like three minutes you're gonna switch off you know that kind of way and I don't want to be like tone policing or anything like that but I think uh in terms of like the skill of spoken word is uh and I'm not saying that I have it I'm still working on that and finding out what that is or what my voice is but um yeah just playing around with like and then you know throwing humor in as well and and being able to even in, in in very serious uh issues or concepts being able to like not poke and that sounds too like, right, but, you know, uh, if it's, if it's all too anger, or if it's all too anything, it, you're not going to be able to take that on, you know, in the kind of ways so that you have to find the, the creative ways of, mm-hmm. of trying to tell your story. And that's the thing, it is it, like, ultimately, if you're telling your truth and you're telling your story, then, uh, it, it should come out okay, but sometimes I feel, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, um, okay. <coughs> So actually, I I would love to keep this conversation going for ages Sorry. more. Than if we're we um, I'm going to be doing a reading a rolled out book on live on YouTube in about twenty minutes. <laughs> um, but um, I don't know if it's kind of like putting on a spot. Is there any any chance you would be able like you would be up for doing um, doing one of your pieces to um, finish off the podcast?
1: Oh, I don't. Uh, uh. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean,
0: do you remember the remember the one um that you did uh up on tip that time about uh women? Oh yeah. We that's and like, i don't know. So <laughs> what? <well. laughs> Let's go for it.
1: <laughs> oh unless
0: um, um just so everybody knows, like we didn't actually plan this at all, And I didn't give you any forewarning that I was going to ask <laughs> you to do this, so, which is kind of
1: unfair. I'm absolutely mortified. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the men screamed chuck at our law as they fought for a new Ireland. A better Ireland. They screamed chuck at our law and we sat in silence and nodded our support like good little men A better Ireland. A better Ireland for them or a better Ireland for all. It didn't matter right there and then. It just mattered that we had an Ireland. So she and fiend Invite the Catholic Church round and we'll build ourselves a doll. Maybe Ireland just isn't ready for us, we thought. So we sat in silence and we listened in awe. We listened as they told us that free mother and childcare was an expense that they were not willing to give. It's up to God now whether or not the mother and child live. We couldn't have bodily autonomy, but our babies could be a commodity, sold to the Yanks without telling us where they went. Our babies were dragged away from us and we were told that they would pray for us because our bastard children could never be loved, not even by God, or so they told us. It's all for the greater glory of God. That was their motto. Meanwhile, a 15-year-old is dying, giving birth in a grotto. We've been called Jezebels and sluts and whores since this state's inception, but never more than we fought to get access to contraception. Because we had the audacity to say that maybe, just fucking maybe, we'd like the choice to not spend our whole fertile lives carrying a baby. They wrote laws that dismissed us and hardly considered us, just enough to make sure that we knew our place and that place is in the home and a woman is just property for a man to own. They made it a law and told us we couldn't be raped by the men we wed. We serve them in bed and if the thought of his hands even touching you filled you with dread and you'd rather be dead and have him beside you, well too bad hun, you serve him and it's his decision when he's inside you. This better Ireland, this great state fucked us raw, fucked us over with each shitty law, a constitution devoid of raw from but now we say no, fuck that, took it our law. Our daughters can and will have choices because we will stand up tall and raise our voices. We will make our own decisions about our bodies and not be shamed for it. We will choose what fucking knickers we wear and not be blamed for it. For too long we've been held back, dictated to, patronised, brutalised, demonised, blamed, oppressed, controlled and slow-shamed for what we were wearing. But now we can build a new Ireland, because this one needs repairing. Our new Ireland, our better Ireland, will be a place that's caring. And the place of a woman won't just be at home while she's childbearing. We will be heard, we will be listened to, no more silent despairing. Cause we are raging, we are roaring, and we are raring. We are manana here <laughs>
0: <Ew>. Oh, amazing! <laughs> yeah. uh. Thanks, Emilian, for doing that. <laughs> here, that's such a class way to finish. Gotta meet him again, Chapter seven of the book that we're reading at the minute, Charles Maclean Cheese, "The Last of the Name," with an introduction, and also edited by the one and only Brad Branfree. As I mentioned earlier on, Roxana lent me this book, so get a car for the episode and for the book. And for the chapter that's just about to happen here this chapter is called the fur at pollen and if you want to hear the very first chapter of this book then just shoot back to the end of episode 67 that's where that is and then all the other chapters are subsequently like thereafter the fur at pollen long ago there was a great fur held on pollen green twice a year the 29th of june and the 10th of october the last fair was held there on St Peter and Paul's Day in the year of 1812. Before that it had been going on for hundreds of years maybe. It was going strong in the time of the Brachar a famous local friar, and he died in 1784. And I heard accounts of Colonel McNeill attending the fair of Pollen, and he died in 1709. From all accounts it must have been the greatest fair, maybe in the whole north of Ireland. The people gathered from all arts and parts and the green was black with people and standings and play actors of all kinds. It was a cattle a horse and sheep fur but there was great drinking and dancing and singing carried on too. All the mentioned girls of the three parishes were there and many a match and wedding was settled at the same fair of pollen. The cow park was down at the place still called Gary and Gladdy and the sheep were kept in a field behind that called Ach and I often heard of a man who used to come with a horse and a cart with sweets and things. And on his way, he kept shouting and singing, tam chakt, tam chakt, na I'm coming and coming to the fair of Pollen. All of the old people had a song too about a boy who promised his mother he'd do all of the turns about the house if she'd let him go to the fair of Pollen. Very meg knusak hugget <laughs> un tra, kruban, kranach, bra. Snehi me ear na la, oh mummy, like me hanini. Curry man cherna earn crush, bogie man clabhan le macush. Yanni mei tea, oh mummy, like me hanini, nini. I'll bring you a hoard of food from the strand: crabs, shell, dulce, sweet dulce. I will spin a hank of yarn every day, day, oh ó mummy. Let me go to the fair. I'll put the hank on the cross. I'll rock the cradle with my foot. I'll do all the wee jobs about the house, ó oh mummy. Let me go to the fur. Colonel MacNeill was a bad man who lived at Binion. He was a Scotsman. He died in 1709. He likely got Binion after the Reformation or after the Battle of the Boyne. I heard I heard my father saying it was the people by the name of Toland who were driven off out of Binion when it was taken over by MacNeill. My father was a corn fur one, one cold day in winter and it was an old Malin fisherman taking shelter from a shore behind, beside him. So my father remarked to him that this was the day for a topcoat. The old man said, if his people had had their rights, it wasn't one but two or three topcoats he would have, for it was his people who owned Binion in the old days. He was the name of Toland from Ardmallon. This Colonel McNeil had a very bad name and always kept a band of henchmen or yeomen about him who helped him to evict the tenants and seize girls and persecute the people. Some of them... Were from Cross Cannell, and some of them were from Binion there was an old woman called Mara- Maraid Gou, who lived in a sod house in Bunnet Creek Moss with her four children she caught salmon during the summer time to make a living and always went into the river and caught them with her hands one day she was in the river down at Clahon when McNeil and his men came on her and with their swords and bayonets they kept her in the water till she was drowned a Tandrigae man was going home from the Kellogg's mill with a load of meal and Gu called at him to save her, but he drove on. And they said that Mraid cursed him and said the day would come when there wouldn't be one of his name in Tandragee. I heard that story told another way. When a man called Dacherdach Moor Nadulka was said to have le- to have killed Gu and that it wasn't McNeil at all. Another time there was a funeral of some young woman who hadn't pleased Colonel McNeil. When they were carrying the coffin round Chample Jas. McNeil and his men held up the funeral and took the lid of the coffin and put their swords through her. There was a girl about cross-canal too, and one night McNeil's men came to seize her, but she got out of bed and made up the right side of Racton and got away on them. Some of the women who had children to him got a, a road of ground for their support. There was one of these roads in gartne and some about Ballyliffin and different parts of the parish. The Ballyliffen Hotel is built on one of McNeil's roads. Some of his descendants were known in my young days but I think they're all died out by now. It was a common thing for women from the lower side of the parish to gather on the Binyan and Anna Hills and Curse McNeil. McNeil used to attend the fair of pollen with his henchmen and pick out the best looking girl at the fair and carry her off to Binion. One June fair they were taking a girl over the hill to Binion, and when they were crossing behind our Shamie Irish McCole heard her screaming and calling for help. Seamy was a mentioned man with the stick. He was hanging on a pot of potatoes at the time. So he called, Mwat Mavatakin, where's my button?" And grabbed the stick and made out and jumped hedges and ditches till he overtook them about Mullach and fell to them with the stick till the girl got away. Another fur of pollen, a fine-looking girl from Irish, came in with her three brothers overthrew Anna. When McNeil and his men went to seize the girl, She blew a burler, a kind of whistle she carried, and it was heard all over the green. The brothers knew their sister's whistle and came to rescue in time to save her. I heard too of a girl from Meansha Glen who went there for the first time. McNeil got his eye on her and arranged with her to meet him at six o'clock and that he'd leave her home on horseback. Some friends of hers warned her about the sort of man he was and advised her to leave the fair at once and get home as hard as she could. She cut up through Turner-Bratley and over the side of Ockram, and got away home that way. Things got so bad at the finish up that some of the Ardale men attacked McNeil one night at a place called Galach in Annahill and felled him with a stone on the head. An own Irish McCall castrated him with an old hook. His henchmen carried him home and he lay there for days before he died. The doctor maintained he would have recovered only for the blow in the head. I heard that the night he died, he tore the side wall of the house when the devil took him. The old people always said he was buried in the house at Binion, standing up, and that the corner where he is buried is built up. But there's a tombstone in the old churchyard at the corner facing Binion with his name on it. All the old people round the parish had a song about pollen fir called "Plerkin the Bollen, or the pollen revels. Many a time I heard it sung. It was made by a brother of Dean O'Donnell. He was Dennis O'Donnell and died in 1778. Dane O'Donnell was a parish priest here about 200 years ago, before the Brahar Naduha. This is the song as far as I can remember it. Eroi Mair Majin is Rahi Mehonini. Tame Makhulu is ni Dushi Terme. Liki Maila Bradog, goil Mair and Deary. is na Dushi Terme. Nil Shaskan Bug no Acha will Pologan. And year of hard na Cillan tra, Nach mímse, sial is meg unfortun Ta is na dúsi ter mé. Ig pila o as éanach na bollandu, ta is na dúsi ter mé. La is le glise na maidina, is na dúsi ter mé. Clínfaer, is ma chálanan. Cárna muna móra, Dragonon. nús, mar Ha or Meshkoeg, Akigal, gurumajinon Tame Makalu, is not Dushi Terme. Igalharan Tame Makalu, Fag for Ked Krapan and Mawali, Tame Makalu, is not Dushi Mahatsa is Mokotse, She Slum, Maharawat is as Melenia, Asahel and Rubini. Eskertive, Nan na Stuhe, ...tame Macaulay mm-hmm. is naadusitur me. I Balak balach na thabardu, ...lis duachit maus goaigit, ...tame Macaulay is me. Yanhime hi me skiste, a chi heima saad si atharty, ...tame Macaulay is me. Can wagi anjor an ean joar a, sawiach, a O hii phili waaan, ...git saach eamin an ...tame is me. I'll rise in the morning and go to the fair. I'm asleep and don't awaken me. I'll pretend to the girl that I'm in a, I'm in a mad fit. I'm asleep asleep and don't waken me. There's not a marsh or a swamp or a bog hole across from Beltra to the height of Cullen Tree that I wouldn't be steeped in and footering in. I'm asleep and don't waken me. On return, returning up, up from the fair of pollen, I'm asleep and don't waken me. With the rise of the moon and the breaking of dawn, I'm asleep and don't waken me. My singing and shouting and noise will be heard there, heaps of big curses as if twas a dragon. My throat will not silence except while drinking till the morning. I'm asleep and don't waken me. Going over the bridge at the end of my spree, I'm asleep and don't waken me. There will be hundreds of lumps on the top of my head. I'm asleep and don't waken me. My hat and my coat will be around me in tatters. My scarf and my shirt will be sundered in ribbons. And my shoulders black as soot with batterings and blows. I'm asleep. And don't waken me. Coming over the past well and my throat parching. I'm asleep and don't waken me. I will rest with Seamus O'Doherty. I'm asleep and don't waken me. I won't leave a drop in any vessel ever a Cooper made. From Billy Bond's house to the tent of Eamon the Ghanachtan. Then I'll spend the night with Eamon and Clough Arna, I'm asleep and don't waken me. shania a slang of oil.